0: Welcome to the master's in psychology podcast where psychology students can learn from psychologists, educators, and practitioners to better understand what they do, how they got there, and hear the advice they have for those interested in getting a graduate degree in psychology. I'm your host, Brad Schumacher, and today we welcome Dr. Tanya Diaz to the show. Dr. Diaz is founder and owner of the Comprehensive Assessment Center in Miami Lakes, Florida. She received her bachelor's degree from Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and her doctorate in clinical psychology from Carlos Albizo University in Miami. Today, we will learn more about her academic journey, advice for those interested in clinical psychology, and those interested in starting their own business or practice. Dr. Diaz, welcome to our podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on, Bradley. Greatly appreciate it. And thank you for the invitation. Always happy to help.
0: Well, thank you. I, I'm uh, excited to talk a little bit more about your academic journey, as well as what changes you're going through now and how you started your business. But uh, first, I want to ask uh, uh, one question that a lot of our listeners are going to ask and wonder, what ignited your interest in psychology, particularly in clinical psychology?
1: You know, that's a great question, Bradley. And really, you have to you kind of think, you know, did I pick the actual you know, venue, the discipline, or did the discipline actually pick me? And uh, the answer is the discipline picked me because when I got out of the gate, I wanted to finish school quickly, make lots of money, retire early. And that's all I wanted. (laughs) And uh, I was that one kid in high school that everybody went to, to talk to, to share that I would be able to hold space for. And uh, when I started my journey, I started pursuing business. And uh, I really wasn't happy. I didn't like my courses. I wasn't doing relatively well in them. Um, I took all my electives in psychology and I was really engaged and I really had this strong affinity and I was really enjoying it all straight A's. Didn't even have to study a whole lot. It just came natural. And then there was this one course. It was a self-actualization course. And this five foot two African-American female from the class she was the facilitator at the time and just kind of looked out and I could have sworn Bradley she was talking directly at me because she was discerning between do you want to make lots of money and be unsatisfied with the rest of your life or do you want to love what you do and never have to work a day in your life and say and she sat there and she spoke to all of us and she said and if you feel that you don't know enough or you are not smart enough or you don't have the drive enough i'm here to tell you that if i can do it anybody can do it because i am challenged in three ways i'm a woman
0: Mm -hmm. i'm black Mm
1: -hmm. and i'm vertically challenged because she was only five two (laughs) (laughs) after that class the following day i went and i changed my major from business to psychology because I knew, wow. I knew that's what I wanted.
0: Well, that's very impactful. And thank you for sharing that story. It seems <laughs> like uh, I, I hear a lot of those. It comes down to one event, one class, one person that opened up your eyes to, oh, my gosh, this is something that I could do. And, you know, you were saying you were doing so well, and it came naturally, you were probably considering it and then she was probably the one and that class was probably the one to kind of push you over the edge to move forward and make that change in your major.
1: Yeah, well, you know what, Bradley? It's interesting because I wasn't even considering it because I really didn't think that I had the tenacity, that I had the resilience, that I had you know, the ability to really almost like sacrifice you know, bits and pieces of your life because it is, if you're going to go for your doctorate, it's a long tenure, you see? Mm-hmm. But looking back, you know, you just take one course at a time, one semester at a time, and before you know it, you've arrived and you're doing exactly what you're meant to be doing. The purpose in your life has found you as opposed to you finding your purpose truly.
0: You just that's have to great. allow
1: it to happen.
0: Well, that's a good take on it, and that's a good way to almost uh, reduce your anxieties uh, a little bit more instead of having to search out a lot of people I remember as an undergrad I was what am I going to do you know and then all of a sudden it just kind of comes to you and you figure that out uh, in time so getting back to let's let's kind of talk about your undergraduate experiences at what point did you know that you you wanted to go for your bachelor's degree, and was it a BA or a BS? I couldn't find that information. Yeah, no,
1: it's the bachelor's of science I'm from Nova Nova Southeastern University, and and Bradley, just you said it best, you know, um, undergraduate, you just you just don't know, you know, you, there's so many options, and it becomes overwhelming, and maybe not even being informed of all the intricacies of so many choices and what they all kind of roll out to be. So I would go to the library. And I was a struggling student. So I really didn't have a scholarship and I really didn't have, um, I guess, uh, financial support. And so I've kind of put myself through school. So I was going into the library and consulting with the librarian. And back then it was the card catalog and trying to find out, you know, um, what type of scholarships there were. And I, I did a search in terms of what, careers were out there and what were they paying and what were uh, the number of years and minimum requirements so I was doing a lot of data collection anxiety through the roof because I had no idea you see and um like you said it's just you have to put a little bit of the effort in and you're going to have to trust the process Mm -hmm. and people are going to cross your path that are going to guide you that are going to influence you, that are going to talk to you in ways that only your inner knowing can hear, you Mm -hmm. see? And that was that professor at, you know, Nova Southeastern. And once again, I was still on the business track, but it resonated, you see? I Mm -hmm. felt it in my gut, I knew it. I had done my work and it wasn't the highest paying job. It wasn't, you see? But it resonated and made sense, and so I moved in that direction and I started to interview faculty at Nova Southeastern University. I started to go ahead and ask them because I was afraid about the student loans, Bradley. I was afraid about all the years, you know, of, of, of commitment, you know, because in order to get your doctorate, you have four undergraduate years, and then you got two years of your master's and then you got another, you know, Two years, depending if you're going into a combined program or if you're going through the traditional. We could talk about that as well. The difference between a terminal versus a non-terminal master's degree. Mm-hmm. So I just started to talk to people who were already in the field to gain as much information as possible. And this is this is a beautiful program that you have because this is what you're doing virtually. To all your folks that are listening.
0: Well, I appreciate the support, and you're exactly right. Um, we always find that. Uh, my guests and, and myself always um, recommend reaching out. Don't be afraid to reach out to people that are in the field. A lot of people are just, you know, again, you're scared at the at the forefront, but you're going to stand out a little bit more uh, versus those who are afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out. And Dr. Diaz, I'm Brad Schumack. I really love what you're doing. I love that you started your own business do you have a few minutes to talk about, you know, um, a little bit more about how you started it, how you decided, and then they'll say yes or no. And if they say yes, then you, you, you have somebody to talk to and lean on a little bit and, and share your experiences and your goals. And they're going to just going to, everybody in the field is so supportive. Um, you know, everybody wants to help you. Uh, and, and if you end up in the same field or you don't, they're still going to be supportive. So I, I'm glad that you're, uh, in that same uh, group of people that, welcome that uh, um, um, kind of input from other people. We've, we've you, all been there.
1: We've all been there.
0: Yep. Now, then after you attended NSU, you attended Carlos Elbizo University uh, for your doctorate. Were you considering other schools, and if so, why did you choose Carlos albizo
1: Yeah, well, apparently, remember I mentioned that I, I'm kind of self-made, self-supportive, and so I needed to work through my graduate story, my graduate studies, in order for me to, you know, be able to care for my senior parent at that time. You see, so I had a household, I had a senior parent, I had to put myself through school, so I could not go to a school that didn't allow you to work full-time and during that time that era a lot of major graduate schools um they didn't allow you to work full-time because they wanted you to commit to school full-time and there was no way i could possibly do it so i did interview at other universities I and mean, i did get in for the universities but um carl's University university was non-traditional in that it tailored its programs to the working profession mm-hmm. And as a direct result, I I went with them. And even during the interview, I was working two jobs while going to school at NOVA, completed my NOVA undergraduate in three and a half years. And um, during the interview, they said, well, you're not going to continue to work those two jobs, are you? We're going to school. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. And I did for about a year and a half after, you know, until my retention started to go because it was overnight shift. And then I had to prioritize. And I said, okay, it's time. It's Mm -hmm. time. You always Mm -hmm. have to always put your health first and uh, you know just kind of constantly shift priorities depending on the need at the time.
0: You also mentioned that it kind of found you this this career found you. Now let's talk a little bit more specifically about how clinical psychology found you versus all of the other branches of psychology. Can you speak to that for a minute?
1: Yeah, of course. You know, great question, you know, because it's like a buffet, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to go to a buffet and there's going to be things that you like on the buffet more than others, things that are going to be more appealing that you gravitate to. Your taste buds are just going to incline you. So clinical psychology was really about the intangible and you say about personality, about affective disorders, meaning like depression and anxiety, those things, while you can measure them in surveys and questionnaires, they're really hard to kind of wrap your hands around them sometimes, you see. And that's the people that I wanted to reach, okay? Mm -hmm. Those are the people that I wanted to help. The neuropsychology was more medical. You did a lot of assessments. And then after that, you never saw the person again. And so Mm -hmm. it was very kind of impersonal. Mm very important piece because you get that evaluation and then you have the opportunity to develop a treatment plan that helps the individual, you know, and makes referrals, whether it be occupational therapy, physical therapy, all that. And forensics, another wonderful opportunity to help those that are incarcerated, but that was just not with my alignment at the time. I really wanted to work with people that were struggling emotionally. And that's what led me to clinical psychology.
0: Well, that's a good summary. And you kind of highlighted some of the other branches as well. And what's interesting is, you know, people, I think nowadays, neuropsychology and neuroscience back then, and then now it's blending more with psychology. I'm finding through my uh, discussions with my guests and people outside of uh, uh, the podcast guests, that neuropsychology is kind of finding its way into all these different branches anyway. For example, forensic psychology, more and more people are looking at the the neuroscience behind uh, what you remember as a witness, you know, to an event. Uh, and then they're looking at how to recall that information and the the types of memory that you you bring up um, while you see a lineup or you see pictures or anything like that. So it's interesting that all of these seem to start to blend a little bit more and almost um, intertwine with other branches as well. And that's just one example. But it's uh, interesting that you brought up the neuropsychology. I recently had a guest on that talked about that as well. And we had that slight discussion. So um, do you have any other fond memories? You already brought up one that kind of you know solidified your idea of this is this is where i need to be any other fond experiences or memories while attending either nova southeastern or carlos Abizu, albizu
1: yeah i you know well i was in albizu this oh, exemplifies how sometimes when you're doing your work and and you're doing what your i guess purpose is you're aligning with your heart is speaking to you that this makes sense for you people cross your path i remember giving a presentation and it was it was presentation in class the door was open and one of the chairs passed by and kind of peeked over didn't think anything of it i went to the library i was always in the library he sits sits down and he says have you ever thought of x y and z for your dissertation He gets up and he leaves away. I mean, he walks away. And I was like, okay. (laughs) He comes back around a couple of weeks later. He says, have you ever thought about teaching? He says, you have a knack for it. If you haven't thought about it, think about it. He gets up and he walks away. Mm -hmm. And so we developed a relationship. He ended up becoming my chair and my mentor. Okay. He's long past. God bless him. And um, it's just people that take special interest in giving back because they themselves have been in that situation. And hence the reason for my being here on your show today because it's Mm -hmm. always about giving back. So yeah, that's always a fun memory because he kind of guided me when I had no idea that I wanted to be a professor either.
0: Well, not only that, but that's a uh, a unique uh, communication behavior. Yes. Planting the seed, not even waiting for a response. Not waiting. Walking, walking away. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Um, any any other advice that you'd have? You've already shared a lot of advice so far for those who are seeking a master's or a doctorate degree in psychology, and specifically any advice to for those interested in clinical psychology.
1: Yeah. So your decision really should come down to a couple of things. Okay. Number one, proximity. And there's a lot of competition now because now education is changing okay, we're doing some hybrid models, we're doing some online models, we're doing a person, so, you know, proximity, are you willing to move, are you willing to stay in state, number one, number two, finances play a really big role in it, you say. Mm-hmm. so do they have stipends and scholarships, which universities offer what type of incentives, if you're a veteran, if you're coming back to school, whether you're, you know, right out of high school, or whether, you know, you're in second phase in your life, it doesn't matter, what are your needs and try to match your needs with the offerings that those universities have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So attending college fairs, attending um, you know uh, college fairs is a great way to really. Get a flavor for the different universities there, you see, because they set up all the other tables and so forth. Um, Going online, Google is your best friend, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Top 10 colleges in this particular area of the states, you see, and then look them up individually during their admissions department. Be mindful of how fast they respond to you. Be mindful of the campus life if that's what is aligning with you and you want that experience as part of the package. So to do your do
0: your homework. Yeah. No, very good advice. I'd also add, if I may, um, go you know, extending the Google search and, and find career guides. Um, and so, one thing that I know that our website does is we have put together scholarship pages and and career guides as well. And right. uh, let's make sure that I'm sharing the right screen here, screen number one. I have multiple screens. Um, So one of the things is just a careers guide that gives you not only types of psychologists, types of therapists, counselors, and then uh, talks about those and then gives some uh, recommendations and other resources for that. The other thing that's interesting that a lot of our guests and and some of our uh, people that are listening to the podcast They want to know a little bit about, as we talked about, these branches of psychology, if you can see these here. And so, you know, what's the difference between experimental psychology or educational or developmental? Go out and and do your own research to find out, oh, well, that speaks to me, like you were saying before. Does it speak to you or doesn't it speak to you? And those are some other recommendations that I'd have is just do your research and and Google is your best friend, as you said. So uh, definitely go out there and be proactive. I think that's the bottom line is don't be reactive, be proactive and and try to educate yourself a little bit more. Um, One thing I found when doing the research on you, and I love doing research on my guests before having them on and and, uh, yours was quite uh, unique as well uh, in a number of ways. Number one is 1999, you completed your internship at Nicholas Children's Hospital And I believe you're providing um, individual group and family therapy to mostly children and adolescents. So tell us how you found that opportunity and what was most memorable about that experience.
1: Yeah. So Bradley, I got a funny story, right? So when I was, 18 years old didn't want to have anything to do with children. You know, they, they just they were loud and I just dirty and none of that. And a friend of mine told me one day you're going to be working with children. I just know it because children will gravitate towards me. Right. And you know, I was at a barbecue, a whole bunch of children. I'm just relaxed and you know, with the adults. And Tanya, Tanya, can you push me on the swing? Tanya, can you you know? And so there was again a natural affinity, and and I thought that working with children was uh, I wanted to be a well-rounded psychologist and I thought working with children gosh I didn't have any experience working with children so I ended up doing my practicum at uh, back then it was called Miami Children's Hospital now Nicholas Hospital mm-hmm. and uh, I fell in love with children
0: nice, nice and as a
1: direct result I ended up doing two years wow. um, at uh, Nicholas Hospital and it was wonderful wonderful experience
0: The other unique aspect of your academic career is after your internship there you completed one year residency at Everglades Correctional Institution which is an all-male maximum security prison so this is unique Um, you know I haven't come across this before so tell us a little bit more about some of the challenges and why you selected if if I'm, I'm looking for an internship and I'm a, a short female black uh, individual, as you just described yourself. Yeah, I want to go to this all male prison. So tell me a little bit about why uh, you selected that and, and tell me uh, your experiences.
1: Yeah. So the short African American female is my professor.
0: Bradley. Oh, I so see. I'm, his, okay. I'm Hispanic, right.
1: Cuban by descent, no worries. Okay. <laughs> okay. But um, What's a great question. Why did I choose forensics and and the reason was more practical than anything else, frankly, because they were going to, um, I guess, certify the number of hours I needed as my postdoctorate so that I could become licensed mm-hmm. and I had, I was the primary provider in my home. So I needed to kind of take those practical steps, if you will. And um, I also thought, you know, I know nothing about it. And I, I, it was definitely an experience and it was definitely very, very challenging. And I'll tell you why. Because I had to unlearn a lot of the things that I learned. in mm-hmm. Textbooks. And in traditional practice, you see. Um, but the one biggest, biggest, biggest takeaway, I think, was my inner transformation and how my lens changed about the prison system and uh, the inmates within the prison system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I thought to myself, you know, are a lot of good people that make really poor choices. Mm-hmm. See? And that's not to say that they're all, you know, really, really good people. I'm not saying, I'm saying everyone at some point has made a poor choice. And just sometimes those choices end up being fatal choices. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it definitely gave me the opportunity to really kind of, you know, evaluate, you know, um, I hate the word psychopathology, you know, but but just the struggles across the lifespan, mm-hmm. the struggles across the lifespan, and how they bleed into adulthood on uh, individual, social, micro, and macro levels. Mm-hmm.
0: So, what's interesting? I did some research on that uh, facility, and it was originally planned as a mental health facility. And was converted to the correctional institution in 1995, and I believe you started there probably four years after it actually transitioned. I think you were there about 1999 mm-hmm. or 2000, maybe 2001, now that I learned that you stayed at Nicholas for two years in that one year, so it, it was closer to that time period. But mm-hmm. I found that interesting that it originally was a mental health facility, and, uh, and then they're bringing people in like you to help um, you know, with the inmates, so uh, it's quite a unique uh, uh, story. Now you are the owner and founder of the Comprehensive Assessment Center. You refer to it as the center. Uh, tell us more about uh, the center and how and why you founded it.
1: Yeah, so I went ahead and I entered academia the same year that I opened the center Okay, on a full-time faculty position. And the reason I wanted the center um, is because I wanted to keep my feet wet in terms of reciprocating with clients and applying the principles that I had previously learned, I didn't want to be a faculty that just taught and regurgitated from the textbook. I wanted to have the classroom come alive by injecting experiences, okay, um, that I had in not only my, you know. I've also worked community mental health agencies and my internship postdoctorate, but also in my private practice. So this was the best of both worlds for me. I had an opportunity to still have that client contact. And then the same thing, I could share some of those experiences with students in a supervision capacity, in an academic capacity, and in a mentoring capacity.
0: Mm-hmm. What were some of the biggest challenges um, when you started the center?
1: Yeah, that's great. Not knowing how to run a business mm-hmm. because they don't teach you that in psychology, you know, in, 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 in graduate school when you're going for psychology. And I didn't major obviously in business. So learning through trial and error. Yeah, was probably the hardest.
0: Okay. And then I, I'm sharing the screen again and, and here's kind of a little bit more information about the center. And I love all the pictures of all the uh, staff there as well. Um, were these the original uh, five or did um, you eventually those were, add those more? Were,
1: yeah, those were the original. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well,
0: good, good. And, and I should point out that uh, a good variety, if you talk about your team here, a good variety of experiences that uh, you are bring to the table as well. So, yeah. so the other question that I have regarding that is, you know, you said, I didn't know how to run a business. So that was one of the challenges as well. PR, advertising, um, taking care of the money, the insurance, that sort of stuff. Um, Did you kind of know ahead of time that, hey, I'm going to have to find somebody to do this? Or did you take that on yourself and then decide, no, I can't do it? Because, and the reason I'm asking that is whenever I ask my guests about starting a business, some of them do try to do it themselves and then realize, this is just overwhelming. I can't do it. I'm not good in this area. Or some of them recognize from the get-go, I need to find somebody in order to start this because I'm not going to do this. So tell me what your thought process was and your experience was.
1: Yeah. So Bradley, I'm like one of the best kept secrets. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I'm saying this modestly so, right. Um, is, is that I really didn't do a lot of marketing. Okay. And so I, um, Again, it started out very, very small. And a lot of it was word of mouth. I got on some of the insurance panels. Um, I do some social media now, you see. And I ended up having to hire, you know, someone to do the administrative piece, but not really a lot of marketing or anything along that line. Because my primary scope was in academia, you see. So if you really wanted to launch, you know, your own business, you definitely need to hire, if you don't know, or take courses in become educated you know on the logistics and the business piece of it you see mm-hmm. but remember i didn't want to go into business just for that mm-hmm. you see mm-hmm. so i ended up hiring someone who was with me for about 10 years mm-hmm who did the administrative piece, but not a lot of marketing or anything. I just got a lot of referrals. I currently have a waiting list um, from individuals that I've seen intergenerationally. Mm -hmm. So I've seen, you know, mom for X number of years has a baby a couple of years later mom is doing phenomenal I see their child they grow up to be a teenager come back a couple of years later and it's awesome it's it's, it's amazing to be able to still continue it's almost like you're part of their extended family without blurring the boundaries or lines
0: mm-hmm. so it sounds like you you create this relationship and you like seeing their growth um, throughout their lives as well. And, you know, one thing before I ask you a little bit about your teaching, because I know that you have taught graduate and undergraduate courses at various universities before I transition to that. Um, one thing that came to mind while you were talking is how did you decide, um, what areas to focus on or offer in terms of counseling and therapy? It's, or is it a, a you know, um, come to me and we'll, we'll deal with anything. I know on the website, you say we specialize in certain areas. So how did you uh, decide that? Is it based on your staff and their experience and their, um, you know, level of education and, and their okay. training? Or did you also have you and your staff train for those particular topic areas. Yeah, does that so, makes sense. Yeah, it does. It
1: does. I wanted I wanted the center to be very comprehensive in its ability to render services to diverse populations. Let me mm-hmm. say, and so I had somebody who was perhaps uh, was a licensed marriage and family therapist. Okay, mm-hmm. and they specialize in LGBTQI, you know, uh, clientele among others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had somebody who specializes uh, in uh, working with teenage. Girls that are really, really struggling, you know, from Mm -hmm. low self esteem to truancy. Okay. Um, I wanted somebody uh, who did assessments myself. I wanted someone to be able to do family work so that if you needed, you know, it's like a one stop shop to a certain degree. Now, I have um, focused more, okay, on uh, more the mindful based. Um, what we call cognitive behavioral therapy approach okay i have now struck a very special interest now i'm curious now again um, about quantum uh, psychology mm-hmm. you see and it boils down to science you made reference to that earlier in terms of neurology how ironic is that i wanted nothing to do with medicine and now i'm diving into science sure Yes. I, so, um, I, and I think that the biggest takeaway for the audience is, you know, listening here is that you're always evolving and you're always changing. So always kind of look life, you know, with a sense of curiosity you see and if if it spikes your curiosity then move in the direction of it as you mentioned bradley do your research start learning about it and you you'll you sometimes sometimes you'll end up going down the rabbit hole but in a good way
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because you'll discover gems along the way and some of those pieces are going to really really resonate with you and those are the ones that you need to kind of you know pay special attention to and proceed with
0: Sure. Very good advice. And you mentioned, you know, expanding yourself and and being open to evolve uh, and change. Two things that I wanted to ask is I see that you're a certified heart math trainer. So tell me, what does that mean? I looked it up, but I want to hear from you. (laughs) Why did you go that route and and become a certified heart math trainer?
1: Yeah. So remember, I was mentioning that for a couple of years, I've been looking at the, the influence of Science, psychology, energy, electromagnetic frequencies, things of that nature, right? Mm-hmm. And so I came across in my research with the HeartMath Institute, and the HeartMath Institute is a research-based organization out in California. And what they've done is they've created okay instrumentation that helps it's almost like a bio feedback kind of mechanism, okay, that Mm -hmm. helps the individual to gain higher levels, what we call coherence, okay, Mm -hmm. and so let's, if you allow me briefly to explain what that is, um, based on just physiology, uh, the, um, everybody's familiar with the amygdala, that's a piece of the brain that houses all the emotions, well, what we, Some of us might not know is the amygdala, amygdala, okay, is synchronized, okay, to your heart in terms of its heartbeat, right? Mm -hmm. And it communicates bidirectionally uh, to your heart and your heart sends messages to the amygdala. And when people get very, very anxious and so forth, the first thing they start happening is their heart starts patter really quickly. It sends messages through the vagus nerve, right, up to the amygdala saying, fight or fight you're in danger right mm-hmm. and then what happens next adrenaline cortisol starts pumping into your bloodstream right it doesn't make you feel good you either fight you fight or you freeze but then if you learn to slow down your heart, and when you slow down your heartbeat you're sending different messages up to the amygdala saying that everything is well you're calm right and so i thought they got something here they really do. And, um, and so I went and, you know, I, I dive in and I wanted to become certified so that I'm able to not only do this in therapy, but also train others if they're interested in this particular experience. You know, say. So it's really cool because you could actually attach it to your, you know, uh, to your uh, cell phone. Okay, and you can measure. You can do it at any point in time, and it really centers you. Because what happens when you are centered and grounded, Bradley, and you have that low—excuse uh, me—that slow heart rate? It creates coherence, which creates a space for you to be able to respond as opposed to react. Because when our amygdala is inflamed, what happens? Our prefrontal cortex is part of the brain that's responsible for, you know, executive thinking and planning, goes offline. Mm -hmm. And this is why they tell you don't make any major decisions when you're under duress.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting that you brought that up. I want to share my screen one more time here. And uh, you have a YouTube channel. And it's interesting that you brought up the vagus nerve as well. That was one of your most recent uh, videos that you shared on here. But all these other areas that you've uh, talked about, it's kind of interesting, especially when you brought in the idea of this heart math as, and this, um, I, it probably relates to that heart rhythm uh, technology, heart rhythm technology. Yep, mm-hmm. that you were talking about. So all of these things that people don't really think about that they can control when in actuality you can bring down your heartbeat and, and focus on that. And then, as you were saying with the amygdala, so... All that stuff is interesting to me. I always love uh, talking about some of that stuff. So I mentioned earlier that you were uh, teaching uh, graduate and undergraduate. Are you still at, uh, is it NSU?
1: I am. Um, I teach on a part-time basis. I am faculty, well, that's what it's called, uh, like an affiliate faculty at Nova Southeastern. Mm-hmm. And uh, I teach for Dr. Karan C. Patel College of Allopathic Medicine. Mm-hmm. And what I do there is I teach uh, first-year medical students um, some of the basic you know, skills, clinical skills, what to look for, assessments. Um, uh, I, I've, I've given uh, a couple of uh, lectures on eating disorders and the physiology behind it, and the psychology behind it, the sociology behind it. And so the, the shift now is moving towards integrated health care. Mm -hmm. And so they're bringing different professionals from different, um, uh, I guess, disciplines and, and kind of just collaborating and talking and having fun and learning
0: you mentioned earlier before we started recording the podcast that you're, you're going through kind of a transition and making some changes in your life and then, uh, emphasizing on certain areas more so now and in the future. So tell us a little bit mo- more about your plans and, and goals for the future and, and what that entails.
1: Yeah. So Bradley, you know, I, I kind of, am. um, um beginning to almost like reinvent myself again and so that 18 or 19 year old who was trying to figure life out back then now midlife is going through the same kind of transition because I'm seeing that the field is changing and not only is the field changing but I'm changing and I I want something that extends past traditional paradigm because there is so much more than what is visible to the naked eye Mm -hmm. And so quantum mechanics underscores that principle down to the very molecular proton, you see? And so I become fascinated how, you know, things can be influenced on an individual basis and then collectively on a quantum level, you see? So I'm I'm really excited about learning what my next stage is going to look like. And so I'm taking a, how do you say a leap of faith and I'm going based on my intuition and after 22 years at the university i have tendered my resignation in good terms because i feel that that chapter in my life is now uh complete and i have to now go back and follow my heart again in order to explore the next chapter in the book of what we call life mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm glad to hear that, you know, you, I, I sense from you that you uh, self-reflect a lot of times and you go with your intuition and follow your gut, any kind of phrase that you want to go with. So I applaud you for doing that. A lot of people are afraid to do that because they look at the ramifications of doing that. What if I, you know, fail? I don't have enough money to support myself. I, what if this, what if that? And so I applaud you for uh, uh, following your your intuition and I wish you luck. Uh, in that endeavor as well. Um, one thing that we usually do with all of our guests is we usually have some fun questions here at the end. And if you if you had a chance to take a look at some of them, I shared with you. What is your favorite term, principle, or theory, and why?
1: Again, my my favorite theory that I'm fascinated with is quantum right now. Mm-hmm. Quantum psychology, like, that's where it's at for me right now, because it kind of leans into um, all sorts of different branches of psychology and also a little bit on just the magic of being human
0: Mm -hmm. if you had any other advice for those interested in the field of clinical psychology or those wanting to start their own business or practice any other bits of advice for them before we leave
1: do your homework do your research Yeah, talk to professionals out there. That's the best Mm -hmm. thing that you can do. Talk to the people that have walked in the shoes that you want to walk in. Yeah.
0: Okay, very good. Here's kind of a fun one and take a moment to think about this one. If you had the time and money to complete one project or go on one trip, what would you do?
1: Wow, that's good. Well, the trip is easy. I'd like to see the world Mm -hmm. because I just don't go for the um, touristy things. I really, really enjoy seeing how people live in different cultures and just the different experiences and how people across the world live differently and how it could have been me born on that side of the world and so forth. So um, I enjoy that Uh, in terms of project being of service. Mm-hmm. Internationally, absolutely. And whatever that capacity looks like, um, helping bridge the gap between the tangible and the intangible, and somewhere along the way, teaching healthcare professionals, mm-hmm. you see, teaching healthcare professionals to communicate that, to create that ripple effect. That's what I did at Albiz University in terms of mentoring students that were in their internship process. And they've gone on to become supervisors. And I've always told them, pay it forward. Don't forget to pay it forward. And they have. And they've come back and then supervised others and so forth and so forth and so on. So I guess the next stage is I want to do the same thing I did in academia. But I want to do it to those Working professionals in the field so that that could also be paid forward.
0: Very good answer. I like that answer. And here's a question I haven't asked any of my guests yet, but it occurred to me when you were saying I'd love to travel the world. I've traveled a lot as well. And it got me thinking that how you would um, counsel somebody or deal with some of their, um, you know, if you're in the psychological or clinical field. You would have to know some of their cultural norms and expectations in order to almost counsel them appropriately. Because if you counseled them as if they were, you know, in the American culture, and in their culture was totally different, um, it, it, talk about that or brainstorm with me about yeah. that. If you if you uh, ever worked outside of the, you know, United States, how would you approach setting up? Your own business there and how you would counsel people?
1: Yeah, no, that's an excellent question. And that's one of the reasons, Bradley, we didn't touch on it before, but that's one of the reasons why I also decided on Albizia University because they specialize in cross cultural counseling.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. And so, um, and that's a must, that's a staple. Okay, Mm -hmm. You have to know the person's culture because that's woven into their life experiences. And for you to be able to become of service to them, you really have to understand their experiences, but not in a social vacuum. You got to understand their experiences, you know, uh, on on a macro level, you say. And that involves doing a little homework and and learning about the culture and understanding what eye contact means and and what certain uh, religions, you know, kind of uh, overshadow or influence certain behaviors, what's acceptable, what's not.
0: Yeah. yeah and 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 I don't want my audience to believe or think that I'm saying that everybody in the American culture shares the same culture. We have different subcultures in the in America as well, but I was just thinking about I have some friends in in different countries and what we take for granted as hey, if you need to clarify or question something, go ahead and do that. but in other cultures if you did that, then that's a no-no that it, it's disrespectful to bring that up again and you mentioned eye contact and a lot of the nonverbals. So, uh, again, we have these different cultures within America as well, and I, I realize that. So, um, is there anything else that you'd like to bring up or discuss in this podcast?
1: Yeah, I, 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 I'd like to go ahead and just plant a seed. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna give everybody a tip. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a superpower that they're not even aware of, and what that superpower is is the breath. We need it to survive. We need it to be alive. But going back to the heart rhythm technology, going down to slowing down your heart rate, it has a plethora of benefits and so forth. And how you do that, Bradley, is through the breath. And the breath, you can also gain higher levels of awareness. You said, I reflect a lot. I do. And part of my self-reflection is also engaging in meditation. And meditation is not when people think meditation is you're going to sit in a lotus position on the top of a mountain for hours on end no no meditation can be from three minutes to five minutes as long as you have some level of consistency and your mind is supposed to go wacky mm-hmm. and the, the trick is to bring it back to center to the breath and the more you exercise that the higher levels of calm you project within yourself and outwardly and people it's palpable they can sense that Mm -hmm. the calmer we all are as a society, the better we are at responding, thinking, and really interacting with one another.
0: That's very good advice. And the other thing to keep in mind is you could almost make it a challenge for yourself uh, if you connect and use your phone or anything else to look at your breathing and everything, uh, how good you are at controlling that and, and being able to bring it down lower and lower. So it's almost like a you could view it as a challenge uh, to, to get better at that. Yeah.
1: So I'd like to give everybody a gift. I don't get any royalties, none of this. It's a free app. And it's called Smiling Mind. Smiling Mind. And it could be done with adults, children, youths, teenagers, families, school systems. It's amazing. And you pace yourself from one minute to three all the way to 45 minutes if you're curious and if you're moved take a look at it
0: okay well thank you Tanya thanks again for sharing your story and your advice and uh, I, I've really enjoyed our conversation likewise. thanks again for your time
1: likewise thank you for having me
0: yep Thanks for listening to the Masters in Psychology podcast. If you want to learn more about our guests or listen to other podcasts, you can visit our website, mastersinpsychology.com, where you can search through all of the schools in the United States that offer advanced degrees in psychology. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like, follow, or share.